welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. Hello, 9 a.m. Ready to rock and roll. Have you heard that story about how uh, bank tellers and federal agents learned to or trained to spot counterfeit currencies. Have you guys heard that story? It's a very familiar metaphor that's used often when describing discernment. You know, how do you tell the difference between something that's real or the imitation or counterfeit? You've heard this story. When bank tellers are are trained in spotting counterfeit currencies, they do not study counterfeit currencies. They immerse themselves and master the real thing. So they only touch real money. And there's, there's a strategy to it. You, you touch and feel the, the real the currency, the bills, and then you tilt it to see the reflections, to see the holograms in some cases. You, you look through it, and then you look at it. Those are four ways you can spot fake money. You're welcome for that one. But they're immersed. They're, they're taught to master the real so that they can feel the fake. I think that's so compelling. And in fact, that's what this next section in the book of James is about. So grab your Bible. Let's go to James chapter three. I think it's probably the best metaphor for what James is trying to teach disciples Um, in this particular passage. We're going to go James chapter three, verse 13, all the way through chapter four, verse 12. How many of you are enjoying this series? Okay, so about 12 of us are going to enjoy the series today. It's cool if you don't, you know. I find it to be both really exciting and very challenging. Um, I love preaching through the scriptures because you don't get to kind of cherry pick the topic. The topic just sticks out and then you got to stick with it even when you're not good at it. Like, you know, as a teacher, I'd rather be really good at what I'm teaching rather than convicted while I'm preaching. But anyways, that's a whole other conversation. James is teaching you what it means to be a disciple today. And he, it's real practical. And in this particular passage, what he's going to do is he's going to frame your worldview. There's two wisdoms. There's a wisdom that comes from above, from heaven, and there's the wisdom of the world that's marked by the world, which we'll, we'll describe in detail. But the way you got to understand, the way you're going to get that is by feeling it out. Some of you have no clue. You just have no clue. And James wants to help you mature in your faith so that you can feel out the fake. And um, James is influenced by the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. I love the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs teaches that there's really two paths in life. There's one that leads towards life and shalom and abundance and prosperity marked by wisdom and humility. And the other path is a path of foolishness that leads to your destruction. It is a path of folly. And most of the people that walk that path don't even know they're on it. So James is going to help us to live in a way that can feel out the fake and know what's real. You with me? Chapter 3, verse 13, let's read this together. It says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. I love it. Yes, thanks be to God. We have scripture to help us navigate this cultural moment and perhaps of all the talks, this one is going to help us in this cultural moment. 
So James confronts issues that are very contextual in his local churches. This is a contextual problem. 2,000 years ago, he was dealing with people who thought they were wise, but they were not. And he challenges their wisdom. He says, this is not wisdom at all. This is coming from earth. It's unspiritual. And not just that, what you're doing, thinking, saying is demonic. He confronts people and they're obstacles of maturity. And one of the obstacles we have in our maturities is identifying and knowing what real wisdom looks like. There are apparently observable characteristics of the two different kinds of wisdom that that James is talking about. You will know which wisdom you have based on the fruit of your life. There is a wisdom that is earthly, And this will be characterized primarily through bitter envy and selfish ambition. And then there is a wisdom that comes from above, a wisdom that is primarily characterized by a well-lived life. I could just, I could spend the entire morning talking about wisdom and a well-lived life. Just that phrase alone is enough. We'll, We'll hit on that in a second. But not just that, good deeds done in faith, deeds that we've talked about, faith that is expressed through action, faith that manifests in kindness and generosity and acts of service because of your faith in Christ, your relationship to who God really is. And this theme that he will emphasize over and over again, which really hits on our cultural moment, this word humility. A well-lived life, good deeds done in faith, and humility. This word that was used in ancient antiquity as a word primarily used for slaves, it was never a noble characteristic if you were middle class or upper class. You didn't want to be humble because it has to do with being meek, gentle, modest, or a low view of one's own self or importance. You can also translate humility as a freedom from pride or arrogance. I love Tim Keller. His definition was self-forgetfulness. Humility is not thinking of yourself less. It's thinking of yourself less. You just read that later. It's, or I love what Pastor Bill Doctrine says, it's an accurate view of self. Humility is an accurate view of self. Pride is this way. Insecurity is this way. Insecurity is a form of pride. Humility is just knowing that you are both divine and dust. You are chosen and set apart and you are a sinner that was saved. Humility in the New Testament is the secret ingredient for unity in community. It is the thing that holds us together. It is the thing that will empower a life of wisdom. We'll hit on it in a little bit. But wisdom from heaven looks differently from the wisdom of the world. But most of us can't see the difference. We haven't been trained to feel out the difference because we are immersed in the world's ways. Now stay with me for a moment. When I share this next part, I think you'll understand what we're getting at and why this perhaps is the most important thing for us to navigate this moment of time. We live in a world that doesn't know the difference between information and wisdom. Wisdom is what we need to navigate the growing challenges we face as a church and disciples of Jesus. Cultural discernment. In the Old Testament, the word wisdom could be replaced with discernment. You need to understand what's happening in culture around you in your life, not with information you can Google, but with practical application on how to live. You see, our access to knowledge has never been easier, but the challenge to trying to find real and livable wisdom in our accelerated, complex culture is the task we all face, whether you know this or not. Truth is relative. It's based on how you feel in the moment or in that day or that particular week. Experts today deny reality. Corporates, corporations and media and governments form narratives to force our beliefs, and we don't even know we're swimming in that. We accept it. 
AI is changing the way the world works, whether you like it or not. I remember what it was like to have to do AOL dial-up and our phone would be busy. I remember life before the iPhone and it replaced hundreds of other products like a calculator, alarm clock, email. I mean, look at the invention of just the iPhone and the world was accelerated. AI is going to be far more accelerating than that. And I don't have a doomsday experience, although I kind of do. I feel a little bit apocalyptic, but that's okay. But I think my, in, in regards to knowledge and wisdom, we've been, ha- we've been accessing information through Google. AI will replace that. And I think where a, where a generation has been um, transformed by f- their phones, they have integrated their lives. They've made sense of the complexity of the world through a device. Think about that. Where we go for answers. Hey, Siri, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> Alexa, Google, AI will become the replacement in my fear for the next generation, a generation that knows no life outside of the iPhone and technology, is that they will replace the search for God through AI. AI will displace God's role because our, our way of finding answers is for information, not wisdom. Think about it. You know how to get the answer. You know, like, you have a marital problem, you probably use Google, you go online, you find a way to chat with a therapist. It's lived reality. Wisdom is applying the right information in ordinary examples of time. Wisdom is taking what you know here. You could be the smartest person in the room and be so foolish in your relationships. You can surf uh, investments. You can lead as a CEO. In a, you can be an excellent therapist and be a terrible parent. That's wisdom. And I think one of the things James is trying to get you to see is to, to, to feel the difference. Because have you ever had a friend who might have been you know, successful on all the world standards from the outside, but as you got closer and closer, you realized their life was a mess? That all of the posturing, all of the, the, the platforms, the, all of the success by worldly standards looked... Uh, when you got closer and closer, you realized their marriage was falling apart. They were a terrible father. They had no connection with relationships. They were obsessed with work. They were addicted to it. Anyone know people like that? But on the outside, it looks like they've won. Do, do you see yet? This is what James is trying to get you to understand, that there is a difference. There's a difference between wisdom of the world and wisdom of God. There, I have a couple of quotes from David Kinnaman. Let's skip the Philippians passage for the sake of time. I realized last week, second service got an hour sermon, so they were highly favored. 9 a.m., you get it shorter. Uh, I'm going to skip these, these quotes. Just go, to the, go, go past these quotes if, uh, if you're doing the slides for me. Um, and I want to, so there's a way of living and interacting in the world. And that's what we're going to break down just from the text. So I want to just show you, I have a bunch of points from the text. But I want to I make something clear as we talk about wisdom. This, wisdom is mastering the art of living. It's not about the right information. It's about applying the right information in your life for ordinary experience. It's for your relationship. It's for, it's for investment, of course, but it's for your relationships. It's for your job. It's for your health. It's for your, your communication. And the thing is, I think we live in a world where it's like the gurus, the, the, the people that have the answers that are online, you know, speaking to their own camera, doing selfies, giving you their morsels of wisdom. We can't tell the difference between what's real and fake because we're swimming in it. Now, I'll I'll hit on this in a little bit. I'm just trying to tease it out in my own mind and make sense of this. But what I love about Proverbs, which James is influenced by Proverbs, is Proverbs says essentially wisdom is obvious. 
You know, we might do deep dive searches to find the answers, but Proverbs chapter one, verse 20 says, out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out. At the city gate, she makes her speech. In other words, wisdom is obvious. It's right when you walk through the city gates. She's right there standing. She's in the public. You don't have to look very hard. It's noticeable. And this is what James is getting out. So he says, there's 12. I want to give you 12 from, from what we just read. 12 markers of heavenly wisdom. This is what fruit of wisdom looks like. Are you with me? This is just from the text. So I pulled these from James. This is a Bible study. We're reading verse by verse. So I'm going to give you some framework. So here are the markers. Here are the things, the fruit of wisdom. And do an evaluation. How, I just want you to evaluate some of the fruit of wisdom that you should possess as a disciple of Jesus. Now let's just see how many you get, okay? This isn't a test because if it is, then I have failed dramatically. But let's go. Number one, uh, here's some fruit of wisdom. Number one is a life well lived. It says that you will have a good life. So heavenly wisdom is marked by a good life. In other words, wisdom is that careful, intentional stewardship of your life's resources in a way that brings about the flourishing and prosperity of you and those around you. That's what James means by a good life. That you live in such a way that there's an intentionality around your time, your energy, your resources, your intellect, your friendships, that the people around you are experiencing your blessed life. That's a good life. Number two is good works done out of faith in Jesus. Good deeds, this is a big one. Third, three is humility. Is your, mar is your life marked by having the mindset of Christ, which is more interested in others than, them, than himself? more interested in serving the needs of others than your own needs. And I just want to say, this is a cultural challenge. We live in a narcissistic culture where your job, your career, your time off, your hobbies, your workout routine, your time, your, the way you like to eat, how the diet you eat, that's the most important. So you integrate community, friends, based on that. That's not the mindset of Jesus. And in fact, that's, that's biblical community requires humility. So for some of you, you have your close friends, you have your community, and then we just move to this church where there's twice as many people that don't necessarily have those friends and community, but you already got your bros and your gals. Humility requires you to be open to new people coming in. Is that all right? Some of you are like, yes, I've been trying to get in. Everyone's doing their thing. Not all of you. I'm just throwing it out there. Hy hypothetically. You all right? 9 a.m., come on, y'all. Let's go. Let's go. I mean, this is the word of the Lord. Do you want, what do you want? Do you want like three steps to make you happy today? Or do you want the scripture of the Lord? I, I'm seeing guys outside. I see you out there. I see your hand <laughs> through the veil. One day it will not be veiled. You will see face to face. <laughs> I hear you online. I can feel the chatter. Amen. Hallelujah online. Number four is innocent. So it talks about having, um, being pure. That idea is like heavenly wisdom is marked by being morally good. Heavenly wisdom that comes from above is peace-loving, meaning it's peaceful, free from worry. Heavenly wisdom is thoughtful. It's, the word is considerate. And he said it means to be thoughtful of others, to be kind to others. When I think about Christianity today, I don't think of kindness. I think of judgment and anti and politics. I don't think of... How are my decisions impacting my friends? How does this decision impact my relationship to so-and-so? The consideration of others. And then it goes on. It says, full of mercy. That word is to be compassionate, empathetic. Um, number nine is unbiased. It's non-judgmental, unprejudiced. Heavenly wisdom is impartial. 
Heavenly wisdom is sincere, meaning without hypocrisy. You speak what you live. You're genuine, you're authentic. It says, and then this, this phrase is, uh, heavenly wisdom is marked by being a peacemaker, someone who's actively working to bring peace and reconciliation in life. Now again, this is contextual. But have you ever been a part of a church that had a lot of division? Have you ever been in a moment in culture where there was differing opinions on things that mattered to you? Have you ever been in a situation where people that you love believe things strongly and they did, they, their beliefs were very different or even opposite of what you believed and you were in the same church? Anyone want to relate to this experience? COVID brought the best out of us, did it not? <laughs> Nothing good comes out of a campaign of fear mixed with like a religious state of beliefs on both sides and then demonizing everyone that held to a different belief and then putting your statement, your beliefs as morally superior. superior. Whenever you have that kind of cocktail, it's going to be bad. <laughs> it's a cocktail or a poison. It's a concoction. Something's going on. Witches brew. I know that for a fact. For sure, demons were at play. I'm not going to mess around anymore. People were asking me recently, like, what's, you know, what have you learned through, you know, the last three years as a church? I said, I will not hold back. I'm going to say it's probably demonic. We're going to talk about that in a second, because that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with things that are no longer just neutral, and that's what he wants to get at. We'll get it in a second. I'll get there. So peacemakers are working towards reconciliation, making sure that, hey, if I wronged you, I want to make amends. I want to understand how I came off. I didn't, I didn't realize that what I said was rude. It wasn't in my head, but it, did, it was to you. Can we work this out? Those that do those things, it ends with have a harvest of righteousness, a person whose life embodies, listen to this, meaningful relationship with God so their life becomes a reflection of shalom in all that they do. A harvest of right righteousness is someone who clearly integrates their relationship with God, their beliefs in who he is, and their behaviors and relationships are affected by it. I mean, we're describing an, an archetype that I want to be like. And James is like, this, there's this way or there's another way. So the real thing we'll talk about, we've got to be immersed in the real. We've got to feel out. We've got to tilt. We've got to look through. We've got to look at the real thing so that when the fake postures itself in front of us, we don't even need to hear it. We know this is not from the Lord. I'm just, can I pray? I, I feel there are seeds being missed right now. So Lord Jesus Christ, would you bring revelation to us? As a body, forget how this is being heard. I pray your word would be sown in this congregation. That all the distractions keeping us from hearing you would be gone. I want to pray peace over my brothers and sisters right now. The Spirit of God bring peace to the minds of my brothers and sisters. Where the enemy has held you captive, I speak life over you in Jesus' name. I bind the enemy over your state of mind in Jesus' name. For some of you here today, I deliver you in the name of Jesus, that there will no longer be a demonic stronghold over your mind, but you will be set free from the attacks of the enemy. This is not one of those moments, this is an attack from the enemy and I break the bonds that the enemy has put inside of you in Jesus' name. And we send the assignment straight to Jesus and let Jesus deal with it in Jesus' name. And I pray now, as we create space for you to minister to us through the word, that we would see truth and know the difference between the world and heaven in Jesus' name, amen. I think that's all I needed to do. I could be done, but I'm going to keep going because there's a lot. I want to give you some, some stuff. So he goes on and he's going to explain to you what worldly wisdom looks like. Now pay attention, lead in. We're just going to read a couple more verses. So let's start with chapter three, verse 14, then we'll keep going. If you, if you have your Bibles, can you just wave them in the air? Um, 
Yep, good job. Encourage you, grab it, get on a reading plan, read through the word of God. Don't start in like Judges or Job. Like all these new Christians, like I don't understand. I started, yeah, don't start there. Don't start in John. Everyone's like, start in John. Are you kidding? That is the most mysterious gospel. I'm so confused. Start in like Mark, okay? Just start in Mark. It's a great one. I love them all differently, but don't start in John either, okay? Everyone's like, oh, start in John. No, start in Mark. That's good. You're welcome for that, okay? You're like, what? Who is, why is John mentioned? Is he the Baptist? I don't know who's writing this, and I have no idea what he's talking about the wind. There's so much poetry. <laughs> start in Mark. James 3.14. All right. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. I mean, just circle deny truth. That alone is what we're living in. A denial of truth, reality, fact. Such wisdom does not come down from earth, but it's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's even demonic. For where you find Envy and selfish ambition, ambition, there you will find disorder and some evil practice. No, every evil practice. Now go to verse one of chapter four. He goes on, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Do they not come from your desires that battle within you? Your desire, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you, are at, you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people. <laughs> oh gosh. Like if I was preaching to you, could you imagine? I'm just like, now I'm going to transition. You adulterers. This isn't like, hey, you guys are doing some bad things. You've had an affair on false idols with God, a different God than our God. That's what he's saying. That's a, that's a big deal. You broke your covenant. You, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with, against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God? Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? James does not mess around, right? Like he's, he's making such a point. Now, wisdom of the world, let me just say this. Um, N.T. Wright says, by the world, James seems to mean as often as in the case of scripture, that the way of the world, the way the world behaves, that's what he's talking about. The pattern of life, the underlying implicit story or narratives, the things uh, people want, expect, long for, and dream of that drive them to think and behave the way they do. If you are, uh, if you go with the drift if you don't reflect on what you're doing, but just pick up habits of mind and body from all around you, the chances are you will become friends with the world in this sense. You'll be normal. It takes guts to stand out and be different. It also takes thought, decision, and determination. So in other words, when James is talking about the way of the world, the patterns, he's saying that this is a current we're all swimming in. And when left unchecked, it forms our identity. It forms our habits, our ideas. And James says, it's not neutral. This world is not neutral. And the habits you collect because you're just letting your life go on, it's not just neutral habits from Amazon Prime or Netflix. It's demonic. I had that in my heart too. Preach it. These are not little I believe with how we're witnessing cultural norms move further and further away from Judeo-Christian values in the United States. This is not a neutral drift away. This is intentional systemic assault on God's creation by the adversary Satan. You swim in culture, your mindset 
mindset is shaped by culture. These are not natural ideas. They are enlightened from Satan himself. And James says that if you're filled with envy or selfish ambition, like you're filled with envy, like the desire for what you don't have, and and, and it leads to um, bitterness and even hate towards the person that has it. Or like self-focused success. That that's where, where wisdom from heaven is a good life with deeds done in faith and, and it's humble. Words, uh, wisdom of the world is marked by this envy and personal focus of success. Those characteristics, if they're present in you, just a little bit, half a dose, you'll find disorder. Now that word disorder is chaos, insurrection, What do you see in the world around us right now? Absolute chaos. Confusion is the other word for disorder. If you just have a little bit, you will see it. And not just that, you will see every evil practice. Practices of evil that you make up because you get imaginative in your evil. You see how relative this is? (laughs) How relevant, excuse me, this is? So, we can, we can name, and I did this on purpose. I want to name how frightening that might be. But can we just pause? I, just, I did this exercise. I wrote this question down. And before you put my answers up, I just want you to think for a second. I said, or my further questions. I said, what are some patterns or values of the world that are easy to drift along and accept without much thought that might actually be in conflict with the biblical perspective? Just leave that there. So just maybe write this question, take a picture. Tomorrow morning, when you do your quiet time, when you open up your physical Bible and read scripture, as you spend time alone with Jesus, bringing your adoration to him and affection, learning wisdom through the scriptures and through prayer, maybe ask this question, what are some of the patterns or values in my life that I've accepted without thought that might actually be in conflict with Jesus's pattern or the biblical perspective? So I, I, so this isn't for any of you. This is for me. This is, I took that, I did this this week. This is why I, I hate preaching sometimes. Because um, my value, one of my values in preaching is what is the text you're preaching on doing inside of you? So in order to, to proclaim the word to you, on, I have to let it get into my soul. And this is the question that messed me up. So I just wrote down, okay, here are the ways, these are the questions that I, I began to form based on this. How am I drifting based on culture? Here are some. How we spend our time. How, how is this influenced by culture? How we spend our money, how we consume, how we consume media or entertainment and information, how we consume food, beverages, and alcohol. Are you consuming alcohol based on biblical expectations or marijuana for that matter? In our culture and day, this has been legalized. And there's a lot of Christians, you know, using marijuana and they're not using it or thinking about it in a way that reflects the scriptures. I just put that out to you. I'm not coming here to preach a, a say. I have a very strong belief about it. I'm not, I want you to ask the question, how are you consuming things in a way that reflects your faith in Jesus? We can easily talk about Satan influencing the Democrats. But can we talk about how we consume food? How we, how, how we participate in all forms of technology without boundaries. I mean, this is a huge one. There should be a morality check with our participation with unlimited access to technology. All the research coming out is saying kids should not have a phone until they're like 15 what it's doing to children. They should be off screens. It's, if they're on screens for a certain number, it's depression, anxiety, insecurity. Like the, there is a direct correlation between screen time and mental health crisis. There, there is no denying this as a fact. Even those that are anti-science are like, yes, it's true. That was a, that was a joke. Okay, um, I made that up. I don't know if they're saying. 
How we engage in social media is a bit how we manage our jobs. Let's just keep going. How we think about things. How do you think about things? Do we allow scripture to form your values and perspective of culture? How do you think about justice? How do you think about race or inequality? Is it formed by? How do you think about the LGBTQI community, brothers and sisters? Is it formed from a lens of the Bible? Or is it formed through scripture uh, or, or culture? Both maybe your view of it or how, or, or vice. I mean, there's so many ways you can go hit it on both sides. LGBTQI, we can be just affirming all things about where our culture is going, missing the orthodoxy of scripture, or we can affirm the orthodoxy of scripture and treat them so poorly we miss the actual reality of scripture of acceptance and love and embrace. Do you see how both are in, at fault? How do you shape your perspective on these things? How do we rationalize our behaviors? Oh, this is where I was like, how some of you are like, oh, all those things are good, but how about the way you re- rationalize lust? How you rationalize who you date? Go to that, the next slide. How you rationalize the boundaries of purity for Im- and impulses and habits. So you, you say you're pure, but you're dating someone and you cross the boundaries because it's not real sex yet. I know what you do. <laughs> Someone's laughing. Substance. Sometimes when we feel convicted, we laugh. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm not calling you out. How we rationalize immorality, how we rationalize compromising our convictions to fit in. So the point is, um, I'm just trying to get you to think with wisdom. So, Wisdom from above requires to live a certain way and the fruit will come. Wisdom from earth might look good. It might look pleasing. It might look smart. It might even look educated, but it's demonic. And you're going to know by the fruit. So here's the fruit of wisdom found uh, from earth. It's jealousy, a discontent, feeling di- uh, uh, a, a feeling, a disconnected feeling directed at another resulting in hate. That's bitter envy. Uh, a strong drive for personal success without moral inhibitions. That's a, a drive for self-promotion. That's selfish ambition. It says, uh, or, earthly wisdom boasts, meaning it speaks of one's own accomplishments, its knowledge, and its, uh, its success. What I love about truly wise people is they're not, they're not announcing what they've embodied in their life. They just live. I said last week, truth just needs to stay there. It doesn't need to defend itself. Just give truth time, and it will ultimately be the only thing standing. Uh, speak, uh, it speaks lies, so it denies the truth. So it refuses to take responsibility or accept the existence of truth. It's grounded in the natural. It's closed off from the spiritual. It's characterized by evil. It's earthly, unspiritual, or demonic. It's disorder. There's disorder, meaning there's unrest without stability. There's confusion, insurrections. There's sinful behavior in their actions and attitudes, meaning every evil practice. I love, uh, there's fights, quarrels, and desires. It means the internal desires and dissatisfaction drives one to have conflict externally. We quarrel and fight with each other because inside there's a war going on. The opposite is a person who's living in wisdom with God lives with a state of peace. There's not a war internally. There's not a divided heart or mind. There's shalom. There's congruence. You see this word we keep talking about? There's wholeness. But in earthly wisdom, there's fighting. There's backbiting. There's arguing. There's challenges. There's someone that has to get the last word in. It has to defend the thing that they said. A person who stands in the character of their wisdom can be um, challenged. They could argue and they don't need to defend themselves because their body, their life is a testimony of what they believe. It's oftentimes the person that has the most to say that shouldn't be speaking. And it's the ones that aren't saying much that have the most to say. Or at least they're the ones that you should be listening to. You lust for what you do not have, which leads to death and war. You desire what you do not have. This is qu- quite beautiful. And then number, there's 12 things. So number 10 is he says, uh, you don't have because you don't ask. 
a, a life is marked by prayerlessness. You don't have a relationship with God, so you spend your en- energies on all the wrong things. And then the 11 and 12, 11 is a worldliness. You spend what you get on your pleasures. You have the motivation for the wrong things. You think that that's the thing that's going to give you joy. And those are the things that are not going to bring you joy. Do we know people like that? If I could just get that house paid off, or I get the second house, or get the car, if I could just get the, the nicer shoes that came out, the new Air Jordans or whatever, I don't know what's cool today, the new balances. They're pretty cool. Yeah, I know that. I know that for a fact. Um, you're a lover of the world, which means you're an enemy of God. You flirt with the world and you've made an enemy of God. You're an adulterous people. I just want to show you these things. I want you to live in wisdom. As we teach you the scriptures, I just hope that sometimes the, the scripture just uh, reveals a pattern that in your life that might need to shift. You know, so you might have quite a few of those 12 for the earthly wisdom. And I get it, but you might not. You might go, yes. You know what? What you just wrote, that's exactly what's wrong with the world. Now, what, <laughs> what I want to say is this. The challenge James lays out for us as a Christian or as Christians is to be able to tell the truth about the way the world is and about the way wicked people are behaving without turning into a grumbling cynic and looking like the rest of the world. I found this quote and it's still debated who it comes from, but it says, we are called to light a candle, not curse the darkness. And that, yeah, that needed some, (laughs) that needed a slow jam. Let me, let me play that back one more time. We are called to light a candle, baby. (laughs) It's a date night all over. Um, Looking at these two lists today, oh, I was pretty overwhelmed all week. I was like, oh, like you read scripture, like this is not an easy task, right? You're like, goodness, man, you just listed the 12 characteristics. I'm 11 for 12 for earthly wisdom. And the fact that you're denying the 12th, your pride, there you go, you're 12. <laughs> You're denying truth, excuse me. Uh, what's the solution? Well, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to do what information does, right? Here's the 12 things to get better at this. I love the book of James. It's, in, it's the very next verse. Just look at verse six, and James gives you the solution. And it's amazing. Before you put it up, I just want to say this. Like, when you read these letters, I think um, it's, it's in this transition moment in the book of James where you see the gospel displayed. Because if you're like me, you're like, man, I am 12 for 12 of earthly, and maybe I could add a couple of more. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to change. I don't know how to get better. Well, verse six is for you, but he gives us more grace. But, (laughs) but he, it's not, okay, now that you know, you'd self-diagnose yourself, WebMD, you know, it's like, I got a cough and some sniffles. It could be cancer. It could be, like in this scenario, it's like coughing some sniffles. It's like, I got some pride. I got some denying of truth. Demonic Satan stronghold over your life. It's partly true. What are you going to do? You're going to practice your way out of it? You're going to works of righteousness to get those things gone? He gives more grace. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor, grace, empowerment to the humble. Now just pause. The solution to the problem of the world is grace and humility. 
He gives grace, and then your act is to stay low. Okay, Christian word grace. I realize that we're like, oh, this is a Hallmark movie here. We're like, I kind of know what grace is. It all kind of works out. On, on, let me give you some definitions. Grace, the free, spontaneous, unmerited favor of God. Amen. The sum total of God's activity towards his human creatures found in the word grace. God has given himself to his people bountifully and mercifully in Christ. Nothing deserved, nothing can be be achieved. Amen. That which causes joy, pleasure, gratification, favor, and acceptance. A favor done without any expectation of return. The absolute free expression of the love of God finding its only motive in the bounty and benevolence of the giver. Unearned, unmerited favor. Grace is the ability to accomplish what you would never be able to accomplish in your own strength. You see, in a world, or one more definition, Desert Father said, the divine energy working in the soul. My friend John Mark wrote this. He says, grace is the lavish, opulent, raw, untamed, scandalous blessing of God, unearned, undeserved, illogical, disproportionate, poured out through Christ. Our every facet of your life and the living presence of the creator God deep inside of you poured out through the spirit in a flood of joy, transcendent peace and limitless power to be and do and live up to God's calling on your life. But he gives us more of that. (laughs) You're stuck in denying truth. You're overwhelmed by your lust. You're recognizing the arrogance, the selfish ambition. You're recognizing that you have been formed in an identity outside of what God intended. There's grace. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news of James. He will say over and over again, it's not what you can do. It's that the word, the gospel is planted inside of you. Is it planted inside of you? Is it bearing fruit of life? If you forgot because now I'm holding up a mirror saying this is what you really look like, don't try to get really good at doing Christian things. Don't try to be more loving. Become love itself. You can't do that because you Googled it. You can't do that because of Siri, Amazon, or some great app or AI. You do that through surrender, humility. Ah, James, good old camel knees. (laughs) If you missed our first talk, his nickname was Old Camel Knees because he was a a leader of a church who prayed on his knees. So you got to accept grace and you got to stay humble. Be humble. Then he gives you, uh, I'm going to end with this quick seven steps from the book of James. (laughs) You ready? This is so good. All these points are from scripture. 12 markers, that's from the Bible. 12 markers, that's from the Bible. And now there's seven commands to increase your life in grace and humility. You ready? Seven commands. Verse seven, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail, 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 wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. All right, I'm gonna end with seven things. Ready? Number one is you gotta submit yourself to God. That word submit is to yield, Let him be your guide in life. In a relationship, when you submit, you are placing your well-being under the person that you're submitting to, under their well-being. You're you're saying, I'm going to let your well-being, I'm going to let you direct the decisions of my life. I'm going to let you take the lead, take the reins of my life. Number two, resist the devil. We've talked about this. Fight against temptation. Withstand the attacks that are coming against you. Number three, move near to God. I love this phrase. Draw near. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. That word in Hebrew is connected to the phrase that's used when you're offering a sacrifice on the altar. 
that you go and you bring your sacrifice to the altar, but it's also connected to the phrase in the Old Testament when two people, two, a husband and wife come together for sexual intercourse. Well, that's really graphic. That's the phrase. This special intimate word designed for lovers. God's saying, come near to me. I don't mean like, I mean like come near to God. Get close to him. Draw near and he will come near to you. Those are things that you can do. You can submit your well-being. Hey, should I participate in this activity? Should I consume this kind of food, this alcohol for the season? Should I be watching these shows that are really messing me up and causing anxiety in my soul? Should I be constantly watching all this media or reading all this media that's causing anxiety and making me judgmental to the word? Should I just pause that? I'm going to submit myself to you, Lord. I'm going to yield to your Holy Spirit. I'm going to resist the attacks of the enemy. I'm going to resist the temptation. I'm going to draw near to God. I'm going to make sure that nothing gets in the way of my time of being intimate lovers with Jesus. That lover language. So offensive today. It's, it's the, the marriage metaphor is the ultimate metaphor for what God desires for you. Divine intimacy. Number four, wash your hands. This is about being like doing the work to prepare for sacrifice. This is an active thing that would happen in the temple. They were, they were Jewish. They know what it meant. It means prepare yourself for the sacrifice coming. Prepare yourself for the work. You don't just show up. You do the work to be ready. Purify your hearts. That's a process of removing the contaminants in your life. Shred the distractions that make your heart and mind impure. Wash your hands. Purify your heart. And then it says, grieve and mourn and wail. I'm like, what is going on? The message version says this. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. In other words, take this stuff seriously. We're not playing games. We're, we're following Jesus. And lastly, I've said this already enough, humble yourselves before the Lord. So these are the seven ways you grow in grace, in humility. This is what we're invited into. So from now on, I want to invite you to a life of wisdom. I want you to be able to discern the difference between what's happening in the world and what God is desiring for his people. And when you walk out, you can feel the difference. But you got to immerse yourself in the real. So come near to God. Amen? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.